you, didn't you get a blessing this morning from the praise team? Amen. It was great. Amen. Give the Lord a big hand of praise. Amen. God's spirit's wonderful. God bless you. Good to see you in the house of the Lord today. I'm glad you guys, as Brother Keith, Pastor Keith already mentioned about the snowstorm, I'm glad you guys survived and you are here today. And I'm glad to see you in the house of the Lord. Well, I do, as Pastor Keith also mentioned about our small groups, we encourage you to get plugged in. This is what it's all about. And uh, it's great to come on a Sunday morning, uh, a major worship service, but it's really fantastic to get plugged into a small group. That's where you begin to build relationships. And uh, I encourage you to, to find a small group. We have a beautiful board that Pastor Keith has designed and did masterful job. Uh, a whole wall lit up with all kinds of emphasis on small group. But in the center there, there are little cards that you can go, you take one of those cards, take it home with you, put it in your Bible, and uh, you can find a different day, a different time to fit your schedule to really get you plugged in. Now, we do have a major Bible study, uh, and it's not so much of a small group as it is just a, an open Bible study on the book of Acts, as Pastor Keith mentioned. We are teaching uh, in the book of Acts. In fact, we're getting ready to commence into chapter 10, and uh, this is a good time for you to get plugged in the book of Acts. It's the study of the growth of the church, the birth of the church. Uh, it's the heart of the Gospels, of the of the. Of the of the New Testament. It's a great Bible study. And this Wednesday night is a great time to get plugged in. If you're not plugged in, if you want to get into a study, we encourage you to come on out. We do have an 11 o'clock class. And then as Pastor Keith says, we have another class at 6.30, same class uh, at that evening. So we encourage you to come, come along and be a part of that Bible study. Grow in grace, grow in knowledge. And this Bible study will help you uh, expand your faith and expand your understanding of the greatness of who God is. We encourage you to come. We've been speaking a lot about the growth of the church, and uh, this year is a pivotal year as we're kind of laying the foundation, and we've been talking about five essential purposes of the church, um, and, and Rick Warren does a beautiful job kind of highlighting all these five purposes. One is worship worshiping Jesus Christ. It is important. We are saved to worship him. And the, the word worship means to ascribe worthiness to someone. And when you come to church on Sunday and when you give your tithes and offerings and when you sing praise to him and you enter into worship and open your heart to the word of God, that is a, that is a work of worship. And one of the purposes of the church is to come together as the family of God to worship him. The second is evangelism. It's getting the good news out to people that, that just don't know. And the world is lost. They have no idea of how to get to heaven. They have no idea about, uh, about heaven. A lot of people have these misconceptions. Well, if you're just good or you live by the golden rule, you'll get to heaven. But we all know that the way we get to heaven is through the message of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Now, the word gospel means good news. The good news. It's the death and the burial and the resurrection of Jesus. You don't have to work your way there. You don't have enough money to pay your way there. You just come to God just the way you are, asking him to cover you with his blood that was shed on the cross 2,000 years ago. And by coming to him in faith, he appropriates all of that forgiveness, all of that cleansing, all of that covering. And everything of your past is under the blood of Jesus. And he declares you righteous. Isn't that awesome? That's evangelism, telling people about the good news of the gospel. So the second purpose of the church is God wants us to tell the world about the good news. And then the third purpose is discipleship. 
That's where Pastor Keith has done a great job organizing a, a, a all-across-the-board small group program. This is his most aggressive small group program that he has established this year. And uh, it's, he's done a, a great job, and he wants to expand every year, and he stays up with all the leaders and educating the leaders, the small group leaders. And we want you to get plugged in, uh, and, and we want you to learn to, and that's where discipleship takes place, being developed in our faith and our knowledge and taking the practical truths of Christianity and implementing them into your personal life. That's what discipleship is. And then the third thing, I'm sorry, the fourth purpose of the church is ministry. And this morning I'm starting my first message on that fourth purpose of the church, and that is ministry. And ministry is serving others. It's, it's how do we serve others? How do we take our life and how do we get out of our comfort zone? How do we get out of our box? How can I make it? How can I help build the kingdom of God? What can I do to strengthen the overall body of Christ? You were saved to serve. And, and ministry is a very critical part of your Christian faith. And then last, we're going to look in several weeks from now, we're going to look at fellowship. So we, we look at the five purposes, worship, evangelism, discipleship, ministry, and then we look at fellowship. These are the four purpose, five purposes of the church that God wants us to implement in our lives. So today I want to speak to you on the, very, uh, the fourth concept or the fourth purpose of the church, and that is ministry, serving other people, serving other people. I can't think of a, a more appropriate example of serving and, and be, being in the ministry than the life of Tim, Minist- uh, Tim, uh, Tim Lee. Uh, Tim Lee is, a, is an ex-Marine. Uh, in the 1960s, he was sent to Vietnam War, and uh, he was fighting in the Vietnam War, running from God, God had a call on his life. He kind of ignored the call of God, and God wanted him to surrender his life, and he just ran from the Lord. It wasn't long while he was in the the fields of Vietnam, he stepped on a mind bomb, and he lost both his legs, almost lost his life. And uh, he stayed over there in Germany, Frankfurt, Germany, for quite a few years to recover. And finally, he was strong enough, they could send him back to the States, and he ended up here in Bainbridge, Maryland, where he spent much time in in a... hospital here, for a military hospital, to strengthen himself. And he said during those years, those were the, the darkest times of his life. And he began to think about how he was running from God and how ironic it is that God took his legs, God took his feet. And he lost everything from his hips all the way down. And he thought, I have now ruined my life. I have totally wrecked my life. And uh, he thought, he just felt like his life was worthless and useless. And, and I had Tim preach a, a meeting for us. This is many, many years ago. And uh, he, he's down in Texas, and he f- flew up here at the, at the uh, Philadelphia airport. I picked him up, and, and then he and I spent an afternoon together, and we talked about the ministry. And I asked him, I said, what was the one key thing that catapulted you from that room of darkness to serve God. And this man is not only just in our country, in America, preaching the gospel. This guy has catapulted worldwide preaching the gospel. I served on his board there for a short period of time. But, but God just used this guy tremendously. And I asked him, I said, what is it? What was the one thing that changed you from a, 
a guy that was what he considered handicapped, useless, done, into a very fruitful, powerful preacher of the gospel worldwide and ministering to so many people. What is the one thing? And we talked about it, and he said, Tim, there's one word, one word, and that's the word I want to speak to you today. There was one thing that when that changed, my whole opportunity of ministry opened up for me and changed my life completely. And he says, that's when I became content with the place that God placed me. I thought, wow, that's powerful. I want to speak to you today on the danger of discontentment. Nothing will keep you from ministering and helping other people than this debilitating spirit of discontentment. Nothing will stop you. Nothing will keep you in a box. Nothing will keep you from moving forward in your Christian life than this spirit of discontentment. There's a story in the Bible in Jeremiah chapter 29. Jeremiah chapter 29. And, and Jeremiah was what we call the weeping prophet. And, and, and the people of Israel had sinned against God. And they, they just did every abominable thing they can to insult God. They did, and God tried to reach out to them with these powerful preachers. And they would stand on the street corner. Turn back to God. Turn back. And the people just thumbed their nose at him and said, ah, he's, they're an idiot. You know, that's just a religious thing. That's a God thing. And they just really ignored God and really grieved him deeply. And God warned them. And he warned the people of, of Jerusalem, if you don't straighten up, if you don't turn to me, if you don't acknowledge me, and if you don't stop, uh, stop your, your blasphemy, if you don't stop ruining my house, he says, I'm going to have you carried away to a foreign country. I'm going to in slavery. And Jeremiah was the last powerful preacher. And he came out with a voice, turn back to God or God's going to carry you away into a foreign heathen country and you're going to be slaves. And finally, the day came where God said, that's enough. And God raised up a wicked king called Nebuchadnezzar. You've heard his name in the Bible. And he was the king of the great country of Babylon, which was one of the most powerful kingdoms of the empires of the world at that time. And, and Nebuchadnezzar came, and like a mighty storm, he came down on Jerusalem, and they broke and burned down the temple, and they, they carried off all of the gold and the instruments that the Israelites had, had established. And, and all of God's people, a majority of all God's people, were taken back to the land of Babylon, and there they had to serve a foreign godless king. They lost their homes. They lost, their, they lost their, their temple. They lost their place of worship. They lost everything because they became very discontented with the things of God. And while they were in captivity, they became very depressed. In fact, they were so depressed, you know, they, they lost everything. They lost their rights they, as, as citizens. of They lost everything. And, and while they were in this dark place of captivity, they begin to say, how can we sing the songs of Zion? How can we sing the songs of Israel? How can we, how, how can we go forward? How can we be happy? We're so miserable in this dark place, this place of captivity. And Jeremiah inspired by the Holy Spirit, addressed this very subject that 
evangelist Tim Lee had to deal with, and he talked about the spirit of discontentment, and I've had to deal with it in my life, and I'm sure you've had to deal with it in yours. And he talked about in order for you to overcome, in order to move forward in your life, no matter where you are, you've got to get your arms around this subject, and you've got to deal with this subject, this virtue, this negative virtue of discontentment. As I was thinking about the spirit of discontentment, I thought about, I thought about the worst creature that started discontentment. Since the beginning of creation, when the creatures, the first creatures were created from the hand of God, there, there's always been someone somewhere unhappy with their position in the universe. In fact, it all started with an angel named Lucifer, and, and he was the brightest star of the heavenly firmament. In fact, the Bible says that when he spoke, he had pipes in his lungs. When he spoke, it was like beautiful music. Of all the angels that God had ever created, there was never a more beautiful, more glorious, talented, gifted, uh, that had the most privileged angel in heaven was Lucifer. And and, and this angel had the privilege of, of walking amongst the presence of God. He was beautiful. And all of the angels adored him. And, but the Bible says there was one sad day in heaven when this beautiful angel looked inside himself and he loved what he saw and he really wanted something more. And he began to be filled with pride and, and, and discontentment. And he began to realize, oh, I, I would rather be the one sitting on the throne of God. I think I am just as beautiful as God, maybe a little bit prettier than God. And I would love to exercise the power. And he became very discontented. And this discontentment turned to a, to a rebellion, and this rebellion turned into a coup. In fact, the Bible says that because of the negative influence of Lucifer, he affected one-third of the other fallen angels. And it, and it wasn't long before there was a war in heaven. That sounds odd, doesn't it? The last place that you would ever think would be a, a war in heaven. And the, the Bible says there was a great rendering, a great rip in the heavens. And, 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 and Lucifer and the fallen angels were all cast out and cast to the ground. And ever since then, discontentment has been the work and the vice of the devil in fact, discontentment has been his greatest weapon on humanity. In fact, when God created man, it was good. God created man, and he wanted to fellowship with man. And, and, and he made a woman, and, he, and he, they put them in the Garden of Eden. And every day, God would spend time walking with them and enjoying them until Satan invent, invaded in that world with the spirit of discontentment. And he comes up to Eve, and he says, you know what? God really doesn't want you to eat of that knowledge of tree of, of good and evil. He doesn't want you to, listen, if you eat of that tree of the knowledge of good and evil, then you're going to become as wise as him. And, and he's trying to pull a fast one over you. And, and he, he really doesn't want you because you're going to become like him and maybe greater than him. And maybe you'll overthrow him. And it wasn't long. In the unsuspecting heart of Eve, she let her guard down. She thought, well, maybe it's true. 
Maybe there is greater powers for me. Maybe there is a greater position for me in life. Maybe, maybe I can be like God. And, and so she took a bite, and then the opposite happened, and she became poisoned. And then it wasn't long before she influenced Adam. He became poisoned. And, and man fell down like a bunch of dominoes into sin. And here we are today in the 21st century, and, and, and we all have this virus called discontentment. It affects all of us. And it's the number one thing that keeps us from serving God because we get so filled with ourselves and what we don't have and what we don't like that many times it hinders us from being the best where God wants us to be in life right now. And we're still not satisfied thousands of years later. We all want something different. If we're young, we want to be older. If we're old, we wish we were younger. Amen? I'm thinking about plastic surgery, really. I was looking at liposuction the other day, and I thought, I wonder if I, can, if I can do hip surgery. I think I can pull that one off. If it's something we have is old, we want something new. If it's new, we want something newer. If it's small, we want something bigger. And if it's big, we want something really big. If we have $100, we want $200. If we have an apartment, we want a condo. And if we have a condo, we want a house. And if we have a house, bless God, we want a bigger house. And if we have a job, we dream of a better job. And when we think of a bigger job, and and if we're single, we dream of being married. If we're married, well, you can finish that one. (laughs) I'm not going there with that. And none of us, none of, uh, of this is unusual in any way because we were born with this virus of discontentment, and some of us stay that way forever. And there is a, a kind of discontentment that, my friends, can take you in the wrong direction in life. The Apostle Paul said this. This is, this is bedrock for Paul, the greatest Christian of all. He said, I have learned to be content in wherever that I am in life. Contentment was the platform of leverage of serving the Lord. And here are five signs that discontentment is dragging us down spiritually. Now, these are not my main points. These are my first points, and I know it's 10 till. Number one is envy, the inability to rejoice at the success of others. Secondly, uncontrolled ambition, to desire to win at all costs, no matter what it costs. A critical spirit, the tendency to make negative, hurtful, cutting remarks about others to make ourselves feel a little better. A complaining spirit, the inability to be thankful for what we already have. Or outburst of anger, angry words spoken because our expectations were not met. You see, a discontented person looks around and says, I deserve something better than this. Because he's never happy, never satisfied, and they have a tendency to drag other people in the swamp with them. No wonder Benjamin Franklin declared, contentment makes a poor man rich, and discontentment makes a rich man poor. Discontentment is a radical cancer of the soul. How can we overcome this vice of discontentment? In Jeremiah chapter 29, verses 4 down through verse 7, kind of gives us a a real remedy for this thing called discontentment. And and you've got to really get your arms around this because if you could deal with this monster right up front, it's going to really help you to be able to serve others. Because without getting the victory here, you're never going to be able to go over there and serve. And there are three things I want you to just look at this morning. Number one, you are where you are because God wants you there. 
You are where you are because God has placed you. In other words, God has overruled the circumstances of your life. He is bringing you to a place of learning, a place of of training. He's giving us a place of discipline. He, He moves us all into the places where he drives us closer to him. The people of Israel, after they were carried in captivity, they felt abandoned. They felt rejected, unloved, discouraged, forgotten. How could they go on? To them, they felt like throwing in the towel. To them, being in captivity, to them was total failure. It's over. It's done. God's through with us. But I like what the Bible says in the scriptures. This is what verse 4 says in Jeremiah chapter 29. It says, Thus saith the Lord of hosts, the God of Israel, unto all that are carried away captives, whom I have caused to be carried away from Jerusalem unto Babylon. He says, I've caused this. I'm the one that took you to Babylon. And to all of those concerns, God answers in verse 4. He says, I am the one that carried you away. I'm the one that put you in the classroom of pain. And here's one of the clear statements of God's sovereignty in the Bible. Although the Babylons had captured them, behind the pagan army stands the Lord himself. God says, I put you there for a purpose. God says, I did it. Don't blame the Babylonians. Don't blame the preachers or the prophets. They are merely my instruments to do my will. You sinned and brought this judgment on yourself, but I'm the one that carried you to Babylon because I'm going to draw you closer to myself. You became independent. You became strong in yourself, and I had to break you down to bring you to the place to totally submit to me. Solomon said it very clearly in Proverbs 16, 19. A man's heart deviseth his own way, but the Lord comes and trumps our way, and he directs our steps. The Jews never planned to go to Babylon. In fact, that would have been the last place they ever intended to go. But the Lord determined that their, that their destination for the next 70 years would be their place where God would teach them. So if you don't believe that God involves himself in the affairs of life, then it won't matter because you won't see his hand at work in even in the darkest moments of your life. But if you believe that God is a God of details, then it makes all the difference in the world to know that he takes personal responsibilities for putting us in difficult places to teach us something about him. And I can tell you this, I have been in hard places in my life, dark places, and God has brought me there to teach me to wait upon him and to trust him and to cause myself to to know that there is a God in heaven and God wants me to stop looking down and start looking up to him. He wants us to know that he is the God of our life. And sometimes God has to exercise that strong arm to break us from that independence to realize you can't go your own way when it comes to a sovereign God. He always overrules. And may I say this, you might try to fight him, but you will lose because he is God Almighty. 
Saul of Tarsus decided to persecute the church and to bring the church down. Jesus thundered right out of heaven, went face to face with Saul of Tarsus, and he said, Saul, Saul, why persecutest thou me? Why in the world are you kicking against the pricks? You're going to hurt yourself. And God converted him and used him as the greatest missionary, the greatest preacher of all times. You might try to whip up on God, but he's going to whoop up on you and you're going to lose. And all God's people said, amen. You can't beat them. You can't beat them. Number two, my second big point. Amen. I got four minutes. <laughs> I'm getting through it. You are called to make the most of your present circumstances. God says, you are where you are because I put you there. If you're in a difficult place, listen, God says, I'm responsible to put you there. Boy, I found that in my life. Number two, he says, Tim, when I put you in that difficult place, you're called to make the most of your present circumstances. Oh, I love what verse five and six says. This is what God tells the Israelites when they're in captivity. He says this, he says, go ahead now. Build ye houses and dwell in them, plant gardens and eat the fruit of them. Take wives, beget sons and daughters, take your wives for your sons, give your daughters to husbands that they may bear sons and daughters, that they may be increased there and not diminish. And then he says, seek and seek the peace of the city, whether I have caused you to be carried away captives and pray unto the Lord for it, for in the peace thereof shall ye have peace. In other words... As they often say, bloom where you're planted. He says, you're going to be here for a long time. You're going to be here for 70 years. You're not going to be here forever. And, you know, this is a good word for you today. You might be in a dark place this morning, but you're not going to be there forever. Turn to your neighbor and say, thank God for that. You're in a dark place right now. No, you're in a classroom. You're not going to be there for long. And if you pass the test, you get to move out. If you fail, you go back to class A. Bloom where you're planted. In every hard situation, we've got to face the same question. Are we going to complain or are we going to get busy? God says you're in Babylon now. You're in a difficult place now. Make the best of it. Don't complain. Don't mope. Don't give up. Don't throw away your faith. Don't spend your days pining away for Jerusalem. You're not going to go back there for 70 years. I put you in Babylon for a reason. Get down and study and make the best because I am the sovereign God and I know what's best for you. Don't waste a single moment looking back on what used to be. Use your energies to make your life better now. And that's really good advice. You say, I'm in a bad financial place right now. You know what? Make the best of it. Seek the Lord. Honor God. Tithe. Give. Just honor the Lord with all your substance. Just start praising him, worshiping him in your dark place. You say, listen, I just come out of a wicked divorce. I'm bleeding. I'm hemorrhaging on the inside. Listen, refocus from your pain and focus on the great God. Just begin to worship him and praise him realize that he's the God of your life. You are where you are right now because God wants to teach you something and just settle back and said, you know what? I might be here five years. I might be here 10 years, but I have made up my mind the next five years or the next few years of my life. I am going to make it a positive experience instead of being depressed and crying, woe is me. And I got news for you. People don't really care anyway. Just make up your mind. You're just going to praise the Lord out of your storm. And when you lift up God and you graduate yourself out of that place, God will have a better place for you. And then I want to look at the third point, and then I'm through. And all God's people said, 
You're supposed to say, go for it, Pastor Tim. It's 11 o'clock. Go for it. Maybe we can get done by 1120. That's a joke. That's a joke. Number three, you must come to grips with reality. If you're going to settle down in Babylon, if you're going to settle down in that difficult place God has you, and, and maybe it's terminal cancer, maybe it's a stroke, maybe it's divorce, maybe it's a bitter marriage situation, no matter where you are, you just settle back and say, God, you got some lessons for me, and I need to come to ter- terms with reality. And this is the hardest thing for all of us to do because many times we want to devise our way out of our problems. Instead of asking God to grow us through the problems, we want to jump out. And that's where we make our greatest mistakes. we got to come to terms with reality. Sometimes the best thing that can happen is get a cold splash of reality right in the face. Don't run. People run. People have church problems. They want to run. I'm going to look for another church. No, why don't you just buckle down and say, you know what, maybe God's trying to teach me something through this, and I just need to stay with this and work through this. I need, I need to work. There's something here for me that I need to work through. I, you, you can't always run. That's like Jonah. You know, Jonah's like, you know, I, 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 God says, I want you to go to Nineveh. He says, I don't want to go to Nineveh. There's a bunch of heathens up there. You know, they're wicked. They're mean. They boil Christians, you know, in, in oil. You know, I want to go to Tarshish. You know, that's like, that's like the sunny palm city of Florida. I mean, I, I'll go there where it's easy and hammocks and, 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 and iced tea with little umbrellas on them. I, I want to go to Tarshish. And he ran from God, and when he ran, God caught him and threw him in the belly of a whale, and God brought him to his knees and totally broke him. God can do that, you know. If you believe God can do that in your life, would you just say amen? Amen. He can do that. I've been in the belly of a whale a few times, not literally, but God told the exiles to settle down and build something for themselves. You see, some of us get messed up right at this point. We feel bad about the past, and therefore we never move forward. And the key to a better future is to stop trying to have a better past. And here's a deep theological truth about your past. It is what it is. Sometimes the devil brings my past up to me, and he dangles it in my face and says, Here, who do you think you are? You think you're a preacher, but here's your past. And he's always trying to assassinate my faith. He's trying to assassinate my self-worth. He's trying to drag me down by the, by the ankles to pull me down into the basement. But let me tell you something. I have to come back at the devil and say, Listen, God didn't save junk. He loves me. He loves me with an everlasting love, and his blood has extinguished and put out the ugliness of my past, and I stand forgiven and declared righteous before God. I have access to before the throne of God because of the blood of Jesus Christ. I am valuable. I am loved, and I can move forward because of his grace. Your past is what it is. You can't change it. You can't delete it. You can't improve it, but you can accept it and move on from it. Years ago, I formulated three simple statements that I call the first law of spiritual progress. Number one, I can't go back. Number two, I can't stay here. And number three, I have to go forward. Turn to your neighbor and say, I have to go forward. Will you do that? Now, this is the greatest, greatest admission of faith for you. I have to move forward. You have to move forward. 
God bless the brave souls who embrace the reality with courage, who accept the past for what it is, who move forward with energetic faith in God. You are where you are by the sovereign choice of God. You serve the Lord where you are right now. You can glorify the Lord right where you are right now. If you complain, you're attacking the sovereignty of God. So the question comes down to this. Do you believe God or don't you? Do you believe God will give you what you need right now so you can serve him right where you are? And there is a sense in which when you complain and you dwell in the spirit of discontentment and you just get in your box and you become sour, at that point you no longer believe in God because, you know what, we begin to believe that God is not in control of the circumstances of our life. If you can't do everything you would like to do, you can joyfully accept your situation as being from the hand of the Lord. You can always pray. You can always praise. You can always sing in your heart to the Lord. You can always refresh yourself in the streams that flow from the heart of God. And how should we apply this passage to our life? We, number one, we need to bloom where we're planted. You say, I'm in, I'm in a dark place. Lift up your head. Look up and start just praising him. Just start looking up. There's something positive about looking up. You, you know that? Everybody just look up. Now, I know, you'll see the ceiling. But just, just look up and, and just see God through the eye of faith. Just, just look up. Bloom where you're planted. Serve the Lord where you are. Stop moping. Don't live in the past. Don't live in the future. Let God define your life right now, not by earthly circumstances. Don't expect change to make you happy. Never forget that you'll, you won't be here forever. We're just a bunch of pilgrims passing through. And soon and very soon we're going to see the king. And this thing called life is going to be over before you know it. And we're going to enter into an eternal state of bliss. And there we'll be with Christ forever. Christ has got to be the center of our life no matter where we are in life. And the greatest remedy for you, wherever you are, maybe it's conflict at work, it's conflict in relationships, conflict in marriage, conflict in finances, conflict in divorce, wherever you are, conflict with your children, no matter where you are, God has allowed these circumstances to all come to pass to bring you to your knees and to bring your attention to him so that you can praise him. Tim Lee said... When I was on that hospital bed and I looked down and I saw a half a body, he says, I remember the day that God spoke to me and said, you're either going to become better or bitter. And he says, I made up my mind. I said, God, I only have a half a body. I have no idea how I'm going to preach. I have no idea how I'm going to get around But Lord, I surrender my life to you and I praise you that you're the God of all ability and I praise you for your help and your strength. He said, it wasn't long before I got a phone call of somebody wanting me to share my testimony. And from that on, that point on, God gave him the call and the preparation to preach. And now through these many years of his life and the latter years of his life now, God has placed him in this season and the greatest place of ministry. And he's serving others. But he could not serve anyone. He couldn't be a minister to anyone until he first dealt with this first big monster of his own personal discontentment. The Apostle Paul said it right. 
wherever you are, just praise him. And say, God, thank you. As long as there's breath in me, you can use me for your glory. Instead of getting upset, instead of getting in the flesh, I'm going to glorify you and praise you, magnify you. And in my classroom of learning, I choose to be better and to be used of God. Let's pray.